Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch. SV. Thank you so much and enjoy today's talk. Good morning. Who's excited for church? If we have not met, my name is Ali and my beautiful wife and I uh, planted this church six years ago. We celebrated six years two weeks ago. Come on. I'm still on a high on our birthday and uh, uh, I am super excited if you're new to church because we are in a collection of talks. Uh, actually, 150 churches in the Bay Area at the same exact time are doing this collection of talks. It's crazy. And especially that's significant because the Bay Area, if you're new here, is the most unchurched region in the entire country. And there is this unity that we are having as a church body, the capital C Church, that has never happened in probably 100 years in California. And uh, because our tribe, we are not going to use this basic language. Come on. We're going to call it something different. Uh, we're going through a collection of talks called Attack the Elephant. Because that's what it is, really. There are these barriers between you and God, some elephants in the room. And uh, get ready, because some of these topics are juicy. Let me read some of them to you. Uh, why, today's we're talking about why is God so hard to find? Why does God allow, a good God allow evil and suffering? Is God of the Old Testament a bloodthirsty, vindictive egomaniac? Come on, let's go there. How can a good God allow hell? Is Christianity oppressive? You may hear that all the time on social media. And something that's been pushed in everyone's face. What does Jesus say about transgenderism? And then on the 19th of September, I'm going to preach a sermon, how to start over your church after you offend everyone and they all leave. It's going to be great. <laughs> kidding, kidding. Let's pray because we got a juicy sermon today. Uh, maybe you're offended and that's okay. God, thank you so much, Lord, that your word is active and alive. God, we may have walked in one way. God, we want to walk out another. God, we're not afraid of, a, of answering these difficult, challenging questions. God, because your word is alive and active, and it is fire in our bones, God. And God, many intellectuals have tried to attack your word, and every time they bring a hammer against it, God, their hammer breaks. God, I pray that, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to those that are exploring you, that are trying to figure out who you are. And if you believe that everybody said, come on, everybody said, can we make some Jesus some noise this morning? Come on. And we're going to pray for the Niners because they're playing a demonic team at 5 o'clock. No. Uh, there's a book that came out recently called The Nuns. And in this book, he talks about, this author talks about uh, what Gallup is to the political world, Barna is to the Christian world. And they say that Christianity in America is changing, not just in terms of like the church attendance declining, the family dynamic of faith in the family is changing. And the sociologists call this thing called inherited faith, where the faith of the parents is, is literally being passed down to the children. That's disappearing. Let me show you what I mean by this. Show of hands, if you went to church because your grandma took you, now, maybe five, ten, ten. If you asked that same question a generation ago, the entire room would have their hand up. It's not just that people aren't going to church anymore. It's that faith is dying in families. What used to be the faith of an entire family for multiple generations 
is stopping. And sociologists call this inherited faith is no longer there. And in the book, it talks about how in the 1970s, the average American, 5% of them would claim that they have no religious affiliation, the nuns. Today, they are the largest group in America, 40%. Especially, specifically in Silicon Valley, where 96 to 98% of the people here are unchurched, unsaved. It is extremely high here. And some of you that might scare you, that might worry you, I don't think we need inherited faith. Here's why. Inherited faith tends to be a less defined faith. Anytime you borrow something, anytime someone is giving something to you, you didn't pay the price for it. You don't ask the hard questions. Why did Jesus have to come? Why did he have to be born of a virgin? All these questions that just often are passed down to us and uh, given to us, but we never wrestle with them. And often, uh, I I hear Christians all the time, I don't need to wrestle with those questions. I'm never going to struggle in my faith. And no matter what happens, I'm going to believe Jesus. What planet are you from, bro? Come on. Uh, Is it faith or forgery you're living by? Because every time I've been pastoring this church, listen, I consider myself a, a person of great faith. There have been multiple seasons planting this church where I've almost walked away, not just from church, but from faith. Wondering, God, where are you in the midst of this pain? I know that you're good. The Bible says that you are, but everything that's happening is not good. And I'm wondering, God, where are you? If you've never asked that question, you haven't lived long enough. And you've probably wrestled with this tension, living life in a seen world and maintaining faith in an unseen God can sometimes feel, someone say feel, feel at odds. Not that they are at odds, but it will feel that way. In a faith that has not been tested, listen, is a faith that can't be trusted, which is why James says this in James chapter one, because you know that the testing, someone say testing of your faith produces perseverance so that you may be mature. Notice you don't begin that way. And notice that it's not a guarantee. The testing of your faith, inherited faith is not a mature faith. You just believe it because your grandma told you. You just went to church on Christmas and Easter, and you never wrestled with these questions on your screen. And these questions are designed, put there, because these are the questions that our, our culture is asking. These are the questions that our, church, our culture is wrestling with. If God's so good, why does he allow hell? If he's so good, why is he killing people in the Old Testament? Seems like he's in junior high in the Old Testament, and then he matures in puberty in the New Testament. Can't tell you how many times I've heard that statement. And we're going through these questions because there is an elephant, often an objection, either between you and God or your spouse and God or a loved one in God. And sometimes, let's just be honest, these are, I have never studied more (laughs) preparing for these than than any other sermon series that we've ever done. And often as Christians, we we don't want to ask these questions like, ah, faith shouldn't ask questions, or maybe we're too busy to answer them. And uh, the reality is a faith without pushback and doubts, is sometimes like the human body without antibodies. It will never be healthy. It's not if doubt is coming. It's not if obstacles are coming. The question is, what are you going to do when they do come? And I can tell you my own life, every time pain has come, every time obstacles, they never gave me a two-week notice. They just showed up. And for the last six years of this church, I can tell you, every year of our church, there has been pain and heartache in someone in our church. A marriage that ended suddenly in divorce. Adultery that no one saw coming. A couple that begs God fast for a child and they can never have one. And then a couple that does get pregnant, but then the child passes away. Cancer, a loved one passing away too soon. A job being lost, a home having to be let go. Tragedy after, these aren't like people in our community. 
I'm talking about people that show up at 7 a.m. to help build this church, our dream team. And often I'm sitting there saying, God, these are the people that create environments where other people can experience a miracle with you, and they need one. Aren't you taking care of your people, God? And I've seen it in my own life. I'm not immune to pain. I wish pastors didn't feel pain, but pastors are not immune because people are not immune. So everything you feel, I feel. And there have been multiple seasons where I've had to ask God this question. God, if you're good, why do you seem so distant? Why is it so hard to find you? If you love us and you desire all of us to see you and know you and the found to be lost, the, the dead to come to life, that none should perish, then why does it feel like it's so hard to experience your presence? Why, God? Why does it feel like you're so far away? A couple of reasons for this. Number one, God made us in our image. The word is imago Dei. So God was a community. Before he, before he even created humanity, he wasn't lonely. Some people think that. God was in community with himself, and he created us to be in community with him. That's why Christianity will never be fun until you get into groups. And then Ecclesiastes 3 says that God set eternity in the heart of man. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO or the most famous person in the world. Nothing in this world will satisfy you because you were not made for this world. And then Acts 17, 30, 49 says that God determines the time and the place. You didn't pick your siblings or your parents. God did. And even though they say you are an oops baby, Jesus did not say that about you. And the purpose of life is not to make money and get educated, it's to know him. This is why your dog at home right now is not wondering what interest rates are going to be in a year from now. He's not wondering if, if there's going to be a World War III or what's on Hunter Biden's laptop right now. He's not worried about those things. But you and I worry about those things. And any parent in this room wonders, will there be a school shooting in my state? Your cat, which is so demonic, doesn't worry about those things either. I literally read an article that a dog will wait a week if it's locked inside of a house to eat you if there's no food. That's man's best friend. Do you know how long a cat will wait? You can Google this. Less than 24 hours. <laughs> Some of you need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. You are housing demons. It's true. There's a reason why your cat and dog don't wrestle with those questions. And I want to answer this question. Why is God so hard to find? And I can imply, this question implies that you believe in God. And there are some of you in this room, our church has a unique grace on it. There's a, a call on this church that we just, we don't just reach Christians, we reach unchurched people. We, we saw 100 people get saved last year, over 20 get baptized. It's crazy. And so there are many of you in this room, I don't want to ignore you. If you want to hear a sermon about why God is greater than science, there's a, a banger I preached two years ago. It's online. 20 people listen to it during COVID. I don't blame you. Go listen to that one. Today, I'm assuming you already believe. But there are many of you that you're struggling in your belief. You have doubts. You have pain because there are these obstacles, these questions that you can't get over. And I want to help answer that question. Why is God so hard to find? Number one, write this down. He is invisible. Anybody think, well, you came to church today. So super deep teaching. He is invisible. We know this from John chapter 4. It says this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And not only is God a spirit, you need to write down this truth. He remains hidden on 
purpose. Maybe you don't want to hear that this morning, but that is the reality. And Isaiah reveals this truth about us, about God to us. He says, truly you are God who hides himself. God chooses. It's a choice to remain hidden. And you need to write this truth down. It is impossible for any of us to find God unless God chooses to allow himself to be found. Any parents in the room this morning? Any parents with a a two-year-old or three-year-old? Yeah, you, you know they love hide and go seek. I'm an expert. I have a four-year-old in my house. And my four-year-old, when she was three, her number one hiding tactic was she would just put a blanket over her head and just stay in the living room. And she thought, because I couldn't see her with, with my eyes. She didn't make eye contact. I couldn't see her. And she would hide in the same spot, the closet in her room. And she was always upset when I would hide in different spots. She's like, Dad, you're being unkind. You're being so rude. And she would tell me, Dad, I'm gonna, I want you to hide over here. And it got to the point where when she was counting, she would look around the corner. And I, have to, I would literally just stand behind her and just wait. She'd go, one, two. And I'm like, Dad. I'm like, what are you doing, girl? And the reality is my daughter would never find me unless I allowed myself to be found. There was this one time I hid in our closet, and I literally hid behind the clothes, and I'd knock on the wall, so it appeared as if I was in the other room for 30 minutes, this three-year-old. It's almost child abuse what I was doing to her. Could not find me. And in the same way, you don't have the intellect, the strength, the fortitude to find God unless God allows himself to be found by you. The question is why? David asked this question in Psalm 88. He says, why, Lord, do you reject me and hide? Someone say, hide. Hide your face from me. There are multiple reasons. I'm going to give you two this morning. The number one reason why he does this is sin. He reveals this in Ezekiel 39, verse 24. He says, I dealt with them according to their uncleanliness and their transgressions and hid. Someone say, hid. Hid my face from them. God is a holy God. He is different. He's in a different category with us. He can't look at at sin, he's repulsed by it. That's why he can't even look at Laker fans. Ugh. He just can't. And, and, and Jesus, his three years of ministry, his itinerant ministry, he was preaching, he would get asked questions all the time. What is God like? Can you explain God to us? And God, Jesus never gave him the straight answer. You know what he do? He'd teach him parables, which are stories about God. And he did it on purpose because he was hiding the truth to those who truly wanted him. Look what he says in Matthew 11. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden. Someone say hidden. Hidden, hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. The question is why? Any thinking person would want to know why God would choose to hide so much truth from the world. If your desire, God, is to know us, that none of us would perish, that all of us would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, that none of us would perish and find life, we would find freedom in Christ, why does God hide? This is the number one reason why. It's on the screen. God has chosen faith. Someone say faith. Faith. As the only modality which relationship with it is possible. And I know that upsets some of you because you don't like faith. You're intellectual. You're you're from Silicon Valley. We're the most educated, smartest people in the country. And faith bothers us because we can't think our way to God. We can't logic our way to God. We can't reason and find science. God, listen, God doesn't need to read to, to learn. These last six years as I, as I started this church, I just felt this immense pressure to lead a community, not just lead my wife and my kids. And so for the last six years, 
Not bra- I just read over 100 books a year. The pressure of leading this community. As the island of my knowledge grows, so does the shore of my ignorance. God doesn't need to read. And if he's the smartest, the, the theological term is omniscient, by the way. That means he doesn't grow in knowledge. If he is the smartest, wisest person ever and thinks that faith is the best, submit to him. Faith is the best. Watch. It says this in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith, what is it? Is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you want to see God, you don't find him with reason and logic. You've got to close your eyes and you find him with faith. A relationship with God begins and ends with faith. Imagine for a moment that every time you woke up, you just felt the presence of God. Every time you're at work driving and your boss is texting you and your kids are yelling in the back and you're like, ah, and God's spirit would come in the room, in the car and fill you with love. Every time you're about to yell at your wife or say something mean to your kids, God would show up. It'd be uncomfortable, but you wouldn't need faith. Amen? Which is why James just says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Can anyone say amen to that? Jeremiah 29 says, if you seek me and find me, someone say find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I'm going to do something different I've never done before. I'm going to give you a fire hose of theology in three minutes. I'm going to try this. Can we put the countdown on the screen? When it begins, we'll begin. Go. God is almighty, all-knowing, and everywhere present. He is ever and always active in the world. The world not only was created by him, but is sustained by him. He is the giver and the sustainer of life. He guides, he leads, he protects, he corrects, he gives, and he takes away. It's in him that we find our meaning. We are the pinnacle of creation, but we were created to know him, for him, and by him. However, in order to have a relationship with and a genuine relationship and a love relationship with a real God, it must not be demanded, hardwired, or engineered. It must be given freely and released freely. It must not be mandatory but willful. This is true of any human relationship. But it is especially necessary to have a relationship with God desires to have with you and me. Not forced, but a free will relationship. And so of the, because of this, God has given us the ability to choose in our free will to pursue him or disregard him. To choose some other obsession or to be obsessed with him. Now, if you go back to the beginning of the book of Genesis, you will find where God creates Adam and Eve and places them in the garden. If you've never read the story, if you just know the Cliff Notes story, you know that God sets some boundaries, some guardrails. Same way that when you drive to Tahoe and there's guardrails so you don't drive off the cliff, God created guardrails. It's only natural that the maker would create guardrails or a guidebook for those who created. It's not forced, but it's, it's, it's allowing you to have the best life. But we chose knowledge over God. We chose our way versus his way. We chose to be God instead of worship God. In that moment, we became overwhelmingly aware of our sin. And this man and wife, they did this in Genesis chapter 8, verse 3. Then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he walked in the garden. God has always wanted to walk with you. He never wanted to hide in the cool of the day. And they hid. Someone say, they hid. We have been hiding from the beginning. We hate that God hides, but we always do it. Which is why I wrote this truth. To see God and not to believe is impossible. But to believe God, though we cannot see, that's faith. That's faith. I did it in two minutes. I didn't even need three. Which is why Jesus says this in John chapter 20. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. 
And Hebrews chapter 11 says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Our God has chosen to be invisible because he requires you to have faith to see him. And I want to ask three questions this morning about your faith. It's going to set the tone not just for today, but for every talk in this collection of talks. And the first question is this. Am I willing to begin my pursuit of God from a place of humility? Some of you in this room, you don't even know if God's real. You're exploring. You're interested. And if you want to see him, i got to tell you, you got to close your eyes. You find God with faith, not with logic and reason and science. And for some of you in this room who already believe and he feels distant and he feels far and there are some obstacles, in the same way that the non-believer needs humility, you need humility too. Because you and I are so broken by sin, so mired in our own brokenness that we don't have the strength or intelligence to find God. He has to reveal himself to us. Which is why God says this in 1 Corinthians 21. God, in his wisdom, saw that the world would never, someone say never, never never know him through human wisdom. God's not opposed to logic. God invented philosophy. God created knowledge, and he gave us those as gifts. The problem is when you live your life on knowledge and and only wisdom, and it's a self-reliant, self-sustaining life, and it's opposed to faith. Because you can read all the books, but still be limited in your knowledge. You can, you can have culture say this is the way that we should live, and God says no this way. Like, I don't, it doesn't make sense. Faith says, I know everything. All the science says this, but God, if you say that, I believe it. That's why it takes faith to see him. I want to show you a picture that I think will help this. It's a philosophical question. Imagine everyone in this room had a piece of paper on your chair, and in it was all of the human knowledge that we know and that we're going to know. And for those of you that have studied this subject, did you know that every two years, the amount of human knowledge in our culture doubles? So if you take all of the knowledge between 2021 back to the days of Adam and Eve, and the knowledge we had in the last two years equals that the last 6,000. And then every two years, it doubles. That's how fast the amount of knowledge is growing. And if you were to put all of that in a circle, how much of that circle would you shade in that you know? I'll go first. You can't even see it. (laughs) It's there. There's a dot, but you can't see it. Which begs the question, why do so many intelligent people like Hawkins, Hitchens, and Freud spend their whole life trying to disprove God when if they just spent a fraction of that energy seeking God, they'd find him. You know how I know? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Someone say, find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be open. We have to begin our pursuit of God from a place of humility. God's different than us. He's in a different category. He's not better, he's just smart, the smartest friend you have. He is intelligence. And he gives knowledge. Where you and I have to be tried to be loving, God is love. That's why we're made in his image. Like a mirror, we reflect his glory. Not that we are God, but he is. If I can show you this other picture. Imagine for a moment we took all the human knowledge and compared it to God. Listen, he's not in your circle. If the God who invented reason and logic 
gave us those gifts, that means he exists outside of those things. Which implies that the, at the end, pride and self-reliance destroy your ability to see God. And God's been telling us this for a long time, which is why in Romans chapter 1, Jesus says this. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his glory, his majesty, his beauty, his excellence, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen every time you see a sunset. It's shouting, a maker made this. Every time you walk along the beach or every time you're in nature and you're like overwhelmed with the stars in the sky and the beauty of nature, it didn't just happen by accident. You would never walk down the beach with your wife and find an Apple Watch and be like, oh my gosh, look what the wave, waves made. <laughs> what a coincidence. And the human body is a hundred times more complex than a watch, and yet many people believe that. Which is why God continues. He says, for they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. If you want to pursue God, it takes humility. You're not going to find him with logic, but with faith. Someone say faith. Faith. Question number two, am I willing to submit to the possibility that God has already revealed himself for all the world to see through Jesus? Are you willing to submit to the possibility that that Jesus is the key to knowing God? If God is spirit and you can't see him and he's invisible to the human eye, yet God claims, Jesus claims that he is God in the flesh. That he's, we have two options with Jesus. He is a lunatic and a liar. Let's burn every Bible, tear down every church, or he is who he says he is. Look who Jesus says he is in John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. Someone say no one. No religious person. Doesn't matter what religion you're from, there's only one way to God. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. He's saying, I know God's invisible, but the invisible God put on flesh and blood. John chapter 8, verse 19, he says, if you knew me, you would know my father also. Be willing to consider the possibility that to know Jesus is to know your maker. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh. Are you willing to at least consider that maybe Jesus is who he says he is? And the third question, and this is the one that requires a step of faith by you, not internally, but externally. Am I willing to take a step of faith that is in part unreasonable? It requires a simple yet unreasonable reason. If it only required reason, you wouldn't need faith. And I think for many of you, the only thing limiting you in a life-changing, eternity-altering relationship with God is one simple step of faith towards God. My youngest daughter, Zoe, the the hide-and-seek champion, um, she was born in 2018, and my wife and I, we did not have money for childcare, so for the first year of her life, we just rotated. It was mainly my wife. 
but I take credit. <laughs> and in late 2019, obviously COVID happened. So this, this little girl, this one-year-old, never went to parks, never hung out with other kids at church for the first three years of her life. Imagine how stressful her first day of preschool was. Like, when I say cling, it was like part of my body. Like, holding on to my wife, bawling, not wanting to go. Because she was in a new environment that was scary. And by the end of it, I remember my wife and I, we couldn't even wait to, like, see her. We, like, throw her in the room and close the door behind us. <laughs> you know, so many parents know what I'm talking about. And now when I go pick up her at school, oh, my gosh, she'll, like, roll her eyes. Like, oh, why are you here so early, Dad? Oh, my gosh. Rude. You're being unkind, Zoe. And I think that's a prophetic picture for many of you. You're afraid because you've never had to use faith to reach out to God. And it's scary. And you're one faith step away from your life changing. And if I can encourage you, for those of you that wonder if God's real, he's already in the room. He already took the first step towards you. You know how I know this? John chapter 3. For God so loved. Someone say so loved. It's not little. It's so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. Somebody shout Jesus. Jesus will be saved. God already took the hardest step. He left heaven for you. He was born of a virgin for you. He wasn't born in Kaiser or Stanford. He was born in a dirty manger for you. He, was, he lived a life of humanity. The eternal, infinite God, the king of the universe, became a baby. Suffered his stepfather passing away experienced the loss of friends backstabbing him. For three years, he gave his life, and one of his closest friends betrayed him. When he was on a cross dying for his friends, none of them were there. He did all of that for you, and never once, knowing the sin in our life, maybe you hide it when you come to church. We often wear masks. He knows everything, and he has every reason not to do it, and it was unreasonable that he still went through for us because he loves you. It wasn't that God died for his friends. He actually died for his enemies, the Bible says. And he died for us at just the right time. When there was no way for us to get to God, Jesus bridged the gap. He already took the hardest step. The tomb was empty for you. He died on a cross for you. He pursued Adam and Eve in the garden. He's been pursuing you your whole life. You're not here because of Instagram because of Jesus and he took that first step and he, although he's invisible if you close your eyes you'll see him and he wants a relationship with you if you can bow your head and close your eyes God I pray for the church that struggles that doubts with the pain of life these massive objections to faith 
these questions that we wrestle with. God, why do bad things happen? God, where are you? Why, God, why is it so hard to find you? And often, God, you allow these gaps so that we don't pursue you based on our own strength, our own knowledge, our own self-reliance, but on faith. Pray, Jesus, that what saved us is what sustains us, that we would continue our pursuit in faith, that, yes, you are the invisible God, but you've done more than enough to reveal yourself for us. Pray for every person in this room who's struggling in their faith, that they would take that one simple step towards you, Jesus. And I feel the urgent need to ask if you have a relationship with God. Some of you are in this room and you're exploring Christianity. And if I ask you, how are you and God doing? You don't know how to answer that question. And the question of life and death is, where does your righteousness come from? How can an unholy humanity stand before a holy God? I got good news. You and I can't stand before God. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. God does not allow good people into heaven. He only allows forgiven people. And if you want the forgiveness of Christ, all you have to do is believe. Have faith in Jesus, the God who became a man, the invisible God who became finite, human blood. He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless and perfect life. And he came not to give us a book, or religion, but they came to die for our sin, all of us. And he offers that gift of life to anyone who will simply believe and have faith with every eye closed and with every head bowed. If that's you this morning and you want a relationship with the living God, who at times is hard to find, but he drew you to church. He's in this room and he wants a relationship. I want to count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up if you want to pray that prayer with me. You're not saying yes to me or this church. You're saying yes to Jesus, the living God. One, two, three. If that's you this morning, shoot your hand up. I see your hand back there. I see your hand over here. I see your hand over here. I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me. That although you're invisible, you entered human history for me. You lived a sinless life that I couldn't live. And then you died on a cross for me. You paid my penalty. I repent. I turn from my wisdom, my knowledge, and with faith, I place my it in you as my Lord and my Savior. As much as I understand now, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Can we give it up for the hands that went up, church? Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you want to follow us on social media and just stay up to our current events, our social media handle is Bold Church SV. That's Bold Church SV for Silicon Valley. We hope you stay blessed and we'll see you soon.